my hope is that we are able to recognize the truth about who we are as a country in all of its ugliness and disgusting history, that we're able to look at it and learn from it. Zenya here. Welcome back to the show. I am so excited for you to be joining me today as we chat with our guest, Haven Denson, about Black Lives Matter, activism, and using creativity to speak about injustice. But before we dive into today's episode, just a quick reminder to please subscribe to the show. Whether you are listening on iTunes, Spotify, Audible, Google Play, press that subscribe button so you can stay up to date on episodes. And head on over to patreon.com slash to join the fam and help keep this show going every single week and get access to exclusive content, behind the scenes content, and early access for my music and writing. Again, that's patreon.com slash X-E-N-J-A. Your support means the absolute world to me. Haven Denson is a third-year social entrepreneurship major and theater minor at North Central College. She has been a performer from a young age and has been involved in 20-plus theater productions. As a changemaker and activist on her college campus and in her communities, she has organized and spoken at multiple protests and continues to educate others on how to begin and continue anti-racism work. Hi, Haven. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So I like to start with just how my guest and I have met. So we went to college together. Um, and I believe the first production we worked on was Opportunities of Extinction. Is that right? Yeah, that was an amazing show. I, yeah, that was such an amazing show. And it was a three-person cast too. Like that yes. was, I think, one of the smallest ones we've done. Mm-hmm. Teeny tiny, but I feel like that helped us all stay close-knit. So it was nice. yeah. Yeah, and because we had the understudy cast too, so that was a lot Mm -hmm. of fun. And it's so funny because it was based in Joshua Tree, and now I'm out in California, and I'm like, oh my god, I can go! (laughs) Oh my gosh, oh, I want to, I want to visit so bad one day. So Haven, can we start with just what first brought you to theater and the arts in general? What just like drew you to performing? Yeah, I mean, I think performance and theater and the arts, they've always been kind of in my family. Like my family is pretty musical and I know my parents definitely pushed us to be creative and express ourselves creatively. Um, I remember I was little and I played sports, but I I played soccer for a while and I tried different things, but I think myself and my parents just like really encouraged all of me and my siblings to, invest in the arts um, because they knew how important it was and I'm glad that they did because um, I've loved theater obviously as a theater minor um, it's really impacted my the rest of my life. Amazing do you do uh, other types of performing besides theater? Yeah I 
do some singing like on its own. I play guitar a little bit um, and a little bit of dancing. Honestly, most times performing, I, I really enjoy. Um, it just ended up being theater was kind of the thing that involved a lot of those different things and um, acting does have a special place in my heart. But yeah, I feel just creativity in general. I also enjoy like painting and drawing. Um, so yeah, all of those things are really, really uh, cool outlets for me to express myself. Yeah, I feel like a lot of creative people, like we have so many avenues that we like to pursue and it's just kind of like, which one is going to serve best at whatever time? For sure. I definitely agree with that. So let's talk about Black Lives Matter and activism. Can you just um, give us a little bit of background on Black Lives Matter for listeners who just like may not be as educated um, and like why, like why it's been so prevalent in the news, especially this past year? Definitely. Um, so I know that we've probably grown up hearing about like the civil rights movement a little bit. And um, we have learned a little bit about the big names like um, Martin Luther King, you know, Malcolm X, and these public figures in the civil rights movement. But more recently, that movement has kind of like changed. Um, and so in 2012 to 2013, um, an event happens um, where Trayvon Martin was killed, um, and that kind of spurred uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. And Trayvon Martin was a, a Black student um, who was killed by a racist man. Um, and so after there was no justice for him, um, and his murder was acquitted, and uh, basically no repercussions. Um, there was a lot of outrage as there should be. Um, and so, yeah, that kind of spurred the Black Lives Matter movement. And that has continued on as we've continued to see um, countless Black people be killed, not only by um, other citizens, but by the police. And that is what uh, the Black Lives Matter movement has also focused on, especially most recently, um, like in the summer of 2020, uh, when George Floyd was murdered, um, as well as Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery. Um, but George Floyd was murdered by um, a police officer um, who kneeled on his neck for 10 minutes straight until he unfortunately passed away. And so that obviously also was undeniably unjust and wrong. And so there was a lot more outrage from that. And I think um, kind of the way that everybody was stuck at home too, kind of affected how much it blew up last summer um, because everybody was on social media scrolling and, and, <coughs> and um, the video kind of went viral. Um, and so we saw a lot of more protests and people organizing um, to stand up against this injustice. Um, and so, yeah, and that situation is still kind of being resolved. Um, but so far, we have not seen much justice from that either. Um, and so that's kind of how the Black Lives Matter movement has kind of taken shape more recently. It's really just a response to all of the horrible hate crimes that we've seen. Um, and I am glad that a lot of people are now recognizing it and recognizing this as a problem that is prevalent. Um, so that is um, one good thing that has come out of the past summer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I didn't ask this in the script, but I'm curious. Do you think that the prevalence of social media too and like people capturing this injustice has um, 
helped other people become more aware of it as opposed to like back when like we didn't have camera phones or anything, you know? 100%. Um, Social media plays like such a unique role in the Black Lives Matter movement, but just in like social justice in general. Um, I mean, I kind of have talked about this with some people before, but I really, I mean, it's, it's a horrific event that happened and George Floyd's death is absolutely terrible. But I think a lot of different pieces came together um, to help a lot more people see that this is not like a one-time thing. Um, And I think like the fact that it was recorded and there were like the full 10 minutes of it happening, like you can watch the entire thing go down. like it's, it's irrefutable. And I think in a lot of other situations, there are a lot of excuses that people like to give. Um, a lot of times invalid excuses in my opinion, but I think in this specific situation, the video was really helpful because there's, there's nothing anybody could say. Um, you could watch yeah. it happen. You can hear George Floyd saying, I can't breathe. So it, like, you, there's, there's no way to say, to like twist it in any way. That, and as well as the fact that there was, a woman there, I don't remember exactly what her job was, but she was like some kind of healthcare worker or maybe a firefighter. I don't quite remember. Um, so I'm sorry about that. But how she was like, I need to check if he's okay because I can see like he's like like in and out of consciousness, like he's not okay. Like I need to make sure that he's okay. And they wouldn't let her yeah. approach him. Um, and so, yeah, so many like little things like that. Like it was a, a terrible thing that everybody can kind of agree on um, right. that there's no way that this should have happened. And so, yeah, technology definitely has played a huge role in that. When did you get involved in activism yourself? That's a great question. Um, I don't know. I feel like, I mean, growing up, I was interested in like politics, you know, and when I was like eight years old or whatever, seeing Obama inaugurated and, you know, watching it that with my parents, you know, they made sure I was sitting down in front of the TV and I see this moment. Um, like I could, like, I could feel the weight of the moment, even of that, at that mm-hmm. young age. And so I think fast forwarding to, you know, when Trump was elected, I was a little bit older, obviously. And I don't know, I, it, it's a, it's hard to describe at that moment, because going from, you know, feeling empowered as a black person, seeing the first black president to seeing Trump, <laughs> this person who spews hate, um, it, it, was, it was kind of, that I think was kind of my first, not realization that we still needed, that America needs to do more work because I already knew that, but it, that did kind of activate something in me to know that on this large scale, um, this is what we as a country have allowed to happen. And so um, from there, kind of, I think going into college, that has also really helped me, like taking classes and learning about these things, um, going on trips that my college offers, which has been amazing to different civil rights museums and historic landmarks and learning more about this country's history. Um that has also helped me learn more and get more passionate about making change. Um, And so that has, 
it's been like, I feel like a slow journey perhaps, but, um, it definitely, um, has all started to come together more quickly in the past few years. I feel like Trump's election was, it brought like so many issues that had been swept under the rug, like front and center. And it it was, I, I felt too, I was like, okay, maybe this is like, the the thing that is going to spark the change that needs to happen like for everything that people have been ignoring and and maybe something good will come out of this so i i i hope we're on that path by now but yeah we're just we're just starting it exactly no for sure i mean i think obama being elected was great representation but um it did allow people you know i'm sure you may have heard people say before like racism doesn't exist in America anymore. You know, we have a black president, of course not. Um, like even like Trump being elected, like although I hate that that's where we are in America, that Trump could be elected, I'm not upset that he was in a way because at least it's a way that more people can see exactly where we are. Um, it just brings yeah. attention to what we're all complicit in. Can we talk about what it means to just to be an activist in general? Yes, I have kind of struggled with this definition. Um, I like struggled with calling myself an activist and what do I have to do to be worthy of that title? Because I do think that it means something. I don't think that, you know, posting on social media makes you an activist. And I don't even think that everyone should be an activist. I don't think that that's everyone's life path. Um, And so I do see it as different levels and of, you know, allyship, advocacy and activism. And everybody should be somewhere (laughs) on that spectrum um, and working their way down the line. But I think to be, to call yourself an activist, I don't know, I see it as someone who not only takes the time to educate themselves on issues because we all have um, problematic ideologies to unlearn, right? Yeah. But um, I think that it's someone who not only does that within themselves, but is able to educate others and organize and um, is a leader in um, the movement, um, whether that's the Black Lives Matter movement or other social justice movements. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I don't have like a solid definition of it, but totally. I, I definitely do think like it's that action piece that really that really makes the difference. What are some of the different ways of being an activist? Um, I feel like people hear activism and immediately think of like protests, but there are definitely like other ways to be an activist. Yeah, 100%. I mean... Protest is obviously a great way. I love protesting, uh, like marches and things like that, where you can physically be with a group of other people. I think that that experience is uh, very near and dear to my heart and is really important for making change. But it's definitely not the only um, the only form of activism. Um, I think we've also seen that recently. We've seen much, many more people um, start figuring out how to use technology for their activism. And, you know, I don't think that everybody who posts on social media about uh, some of these issues 
that that doesn't mean they automatically become an activist. But I think that you can use social media as a tool for your activism, um, if mm. that distinction makes sense. Um, and so there are plenty of activists who have never, you know, invested in organizing protests, but they do a lot of academic writing or um, they invest like interpersonally in their relationships in educating um, each other. And so I, yeah, I think you can adapt activism to so many different ways of life. And the more you get creative and the more you personalize it to who you are, the more effective it'll probably be. Do you want to share about uh, the protests you led on the 4th? Yes. Um, so this last year, uh, 4th of July in 2020, um, that was also while a bunch of uh, different protests were happening after George Floyd's death and the death of others. Um, and so the 4th of July has always been a very, um, I don't know, I'm not a very patriotic person person <laughs> just based on you know how America has often treated people like me um but that that can even be a controversial thing to say just to say like I'm not I'm not a patriot um I know a lot of people would be angry at me even speaking those words um so I that's why I really thought it it was really cool and it was really important that these protests would take place because we all don't have the same level of freedom that yeah. um, we should be guaranteed or that we America claims to guarantee us. Um, and so, yeah, the, that protest was organized like in conjunction with a lot of other protests across the country. Um, and so a lot of different ones were taking place on the 4th of July. Um, and yeah, just to basically say that, to stand up and say like, this day is not, just, is not truly representative of the freedoms that exist in our country um in the way we celebrate like oh the fourth of july is a lie for a lot of people um and so yeah that's that's what the our protest was about and i i think i am so glad that it happened um i was able to organizing organize it with a few other students um people my age there were a couple college students a couple high school students even and then um, yeah, we had some other people helping us as well. And I, th I, I think we, it turned out really well. Um, we had um, a few people come out and join us and it definitely was hard to get people to come out on the 4th of July and even mm. across the country as different protests were organizing. Um, I know some of them, some of them were pretty small um, and some of them were a bit larger, but yeah, to get people to actually, you know, examine what we're celebrating was definitely difficult and it was definitely a challenge in that. But I'm very grateful for the, all the people who came out um, and marched with us and listened to me and others speak and read poems. And yeah, I'm definitely very grateful for the opportunity because I think I think it was an amazing ex experience. Yeah, your speaking was so powerful. Oh my gosh. Do you want to share a little bit more about that? Because I I had chills the entire time you were talking. Thank you. Thank you. I really, really appreciate that. You could also, if you want to just like share like a personal story of injustice that you've faced. I think growing up, I mean, I have grown up for most of my life in a predominantly white area um, and North Central where I went. 
for I go and you went, um, <laughs> is a predominantly white institution. And so, um, there are definitely just many microaggressions that you experience throughout your lifetime, um, which are just like very subtle injustices that, you know, people delivering the, these statements or actions, whatever it may be, maybe don't even realize what they're saying, but it just comes from a place of ignorance. And, um, you know, people, it, it can be as small, quote unquote, small as, you know, someone asking if my hair is real or um, just trying to touch it without permission or mm. um, different things like that to, you know, bigger things like being called the N-word or um, I know I do remember experiencing that before I was even really old enough to like know what it meant. Um, mm. Me and my siblings like just playing outside like little kids do and like so another kid like from across the street like just yelling like the n-word at us um as like the only like as a few of the only black people in our neighborhood um not really like understanding what was going on like why they were angry like as a kid it's just you you don't understand it um and so yeah it means even growing up older than that there's just then you you it's it's difficult to um move on and have um different friendships with people without wondering you know do they think anything of me because I'm not white mm. you know what you know is the reason why I wasn't chosen for this was it because of my identity um and so there have been very little and very big things, um, however you want to classify that. But yeah, it, it's that's just something that I think a lot of different people of color and marginalized communities go through. Um, and it's something that our parents often like have to talk to us about, like this is the reality of the world that we're mm -hmm. living in, um, which sucks. But I mean, it it is a conversation that is necessary and knowing that people may look at you differently or, you know, cops might treat you differently. Um, it's just the harsh reality of our world. Can you explain a little bit about um, the conversation around uh, how we're calling it anti-racism now, where it's not like you're racist or not, it's you're racist or anti-racist? Yes, uh, this is something that's very important, but I feel like it's difficult concept to wrap some people it's difficult for them to wrap their minds around. Um, so I think a lot of people, even a lot of like pretty liberal people have one view, like um, people who live nor in Northern states, they kind of stereotype a racist person as someone who lives in the South and who is, you know, ignorant and educated and you know they have their southern drawl and all this and they have this caricature in their mind of a racist person a person who would say I hate black people but that's often not what racism is you know race mm -hmm. I, I would say it is far far less often that anyone would say I hate black people or anything like that um, racism is often just ingrained ideology like believing that 
certain types of people are inherently better or worse subconsciously. It doesn't even have to be something that you think about. Um, but I would say like white supremacy is just so ingrained into our society. I mean, it's the foundations that our societies were built on. And so anybody who doesn't do the work to unlearn that has already learned it. You know, we've, I mean, there are studies that have shown like small children already at a young age, already subconsciously taking in racist messaging um, because that's the world they live in. And so kind of, unfortunately, racism has kind of become a default. Um, it becomes what we just inevitably grow up with. And so for anybody who doesn't do the work of unlearning that, they will perpetuate it. Um, and so that's not a guilt thing uh, because even marginalized communities, they have that ingrained in their minds too. Um, and so mm. that's something that we also need to unlearn these ideas about ourselves. Um, and so I think that's why it's important to have that distinction that if you're not actively working and educating yourself and learning to be anti-racist, then the default is going to be perpetuating racism. Yeah, and a lot of that too, I think can be subconscious because like you say, it is how America was built. And it's, it's, that's what everybody was taught. And it's like, all of that is passed down generation for, to generation. So it's more important than ever to be actively undoing all of that learning, which because it was taught, it can be unlearned. That's the good thing. Yes, there's the hope. Yeah, yeah 100%, <laughs> I definitely agree. But yeah, that's kind of what I was saying before, like, that's why it's so hard to detect. And that's why it's so hard, because most of it is subconscious, you know, mm -hmm. like people think if they're not this racist caricature that they have in their minds, then they're good. <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah, yeah, that's just not the case. Yeah. I'm curious if, I don't know, like, do you think that it's almost easier to deal with that caricature type because it's like we can just ignore them versus somebody who doesn't know what they're doing and doesn't know that they are perpetuating racism 100 percent, yeah because it's hard to if you have one idea in your mind about what a racist person is or does or looks like then it's hard to associate yourself with that like I am nothing like that that person who just hates black people you know like that's not me obviously I I think they're almost nobody would assign themselves to that category nobody would want to be associated with that and that is a way of like distancing themselves from that racism and so yeah I I think once we start to see the nuance and how it is ingrained in our societies then it, it you have to get past that that guilt that comes with it. Like maybe I have been complicit in this or perpetuating racism, or maybe I do have some racist ideologies that I need to unlearn. There's, there's a lot of guilt that comes with that understandably, but I think the most important part is if we don't get stuck on the, on that guilt portion of it. Like, obviously it's only natural to feel guilty or disappointed in yourself when you fall short of what you thought or you, don't meet the standards of who you thought you were. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it's, a, it's okay to feel that 
guilt in that shame because you know, I can't fault anybody for those feelings, but I think it's important to remember you don't have to sit in that. You don't have to stay, stay guilty. Um, what are you going to do with it? What are actions are you going to take to rectify everything that you have done? Um, and so I think that's the most important piece. Yeah. And I think too, something that I really admire about you is that you come at activism and educating people with such grace and because I remember when I posted the um black square when they were doing that uh on the the Tuesday many many months ago um and I had the hashtag black lives matter um but then that was it was like clogging up the black black lives matter feed and and preventing uh information from to get like to actually like to people um and you you were like thank you so much for your support. Can you do this instead? And like, that's, that's like, because like, yes, of course, like guilt and shame is real, but it also like, we have to put like white people have to put that aside because like, it's not that it doesn't matter, but it's that like being like the anti-racism work matters more. So to also then have like your support and your grace with, with like, Hey, can you do this? And it'll be better if you do this. Like, that's so helpful too. Cause I think also like people may get afraid of posting and, and being, trying to be an activist because they don't want to say the wrong thing. And like, they're afraid that they're going to like make it worse. Um, so I just want to like, let you know that I, I really appreciate that about you is that you're, you're very, very graceful with, with all of this and it makes a difference. Yeah. Thank you. I really do appreciate that. Um, yeah, I, I definitely, understand like the being afraid of misstepping or saying the wrong thing or you know accidentally you know offending someone um and that's that fear is very real for many people as well um but I think that's why I think it is also important to like be educated about what you share on social media of course mistakes are always going to happen and that's where the guilt will come in as well but like um, random like facts that you see on an Instagram like infographic um, maybe just like check the sources first because mm. it is like that technology and social media is an amazing tool I think um, and I think that we should utilize them um, and if we don't we're kind of wasting an opportunity but um, there is like a balance to be struck there. And there, it, it, it can be difficult because there's so much information and so much misinformation um, that, yeah, I, I think even I struggle with like finding like reputable sources and making sure that I'm not sharing or misleading anyone. Um, and so, yeah, that's definitely, definitely a fear and definitely a struggle. But I mean, it goes back to like feeling guilty about, um, Miss, misstepping again. But yeah, I, I think a more productive is asking ourselves, like, how can we, how can we continue to do better? Yeah, absolutely. There's, I, I, I was uh, talking with someone in another interview about the benefits of failure, because it's like the, that's the only way we're going to learn and grow and do better for the next time. So it's, yes, feelings are going to come up, but like, it's exactly what you say. It's how are you going to use that and learn from it and do better next time? Yeah, 100%. It's inevitable. So you might as well embrace that journey. Yeah, absolutely. I I like saying that the opposite of success is not failure. It's not trying at all. Yeah.
So Haven, can we talk about uh, creativity and using art to speak up about injustice? You're such a creative person. Is this something like an avenue that you feel yourself going down? Yeah, I mean, I think I use art in whatever form that may be to express myself a lot. Um, and so I think in much of the artwork that I create, I want it to convey some sort of meaning. Or even if I don't like set out to create something with a certain purpose, um, just whatever is on my mind or on my heart, like that can come out in my art. And so I do definitely find myself being drawn to, you know, create things or be involved in shows or that like have, that like mean something and that make an impact in that. Um, bring about change or even just start conversations. I think those are definitely the most important and that I'm most products that I'm most passionate about. Um, but it also is art is also something that I, I, it, it's, I like to keep for myself a little bit, which can be a difficult balance because obviously I want to share my voice and I want to express myself and I want people to be able to see my work. Um, but there's also just um, that piece that you get from creating art. And I don't want to minimize that by creating X, Y, Z, or like making my art too heavy. Oftentimes art for me is just like therapeutic and it just helps me myself be okay. Um, and so I guess that is it can be it can be just as powerful as well and so even if it doesn't convey a specific um, message um i think it's it still personally helps me with a lot of healing which is important to activism work oh absolutely i was i was gonna ask about just like how do you not burn out you know oh i for sure or do. do you yeah i 100 <laughs> do absolutely um and I think that just comes from me, like not knowing what I'm doing yet. And I probably will never fully know what I'm doing. No one ever really uh, will does. any of us though. Exactly. Like. <laughs> <laughs> no one really does. But um, I definitely have found myself. And I think this is just a part of my personality too, to like get really excited about a bunch of different projects and do 27 things at one time and realize I can't, I can't juggle all these balls. Um, some of them are going to get dropped. And um, so I definitely have experienced burnout. Even um, after last summer, like I feel like I was doing a lot of things and I was trying to speak out on a lot of different issues, um, probably overextending myself. And it's hard to strike that balance. And for activists who um, like put a lot of themselves into their work. It's hard to not feel burnt out every time you you organize or every time you um, create a project or anything like that. And so I think that is where art has really come in handy and how it has helped me recharge and heal. And that is why I think it's important for me to not always create art with a message, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes like no purpose at all. I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to paint something that means nothing. And that's probably pretty bad, but it made me feel better in the moment. So it's, 
it served its purpose. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's, it, it's really hard not to burn out as, as yeah. an activist or as a growing activist. Um, and I definitely have before, but we're, we're trying to figure out when to say no, when to step back and let other people uh, take leadership, um, how to collaborate and things like that. Yeah. Is there anything that I didn't ask about before we get into final five that you want to share? Um, I think it's just important to emphasize like how important this work is, no matter who you are, no matter yeah. whether you like have never really heard these terms, you don't know much about Black Lives Matter, whether you were, you know, anti-Black Lives Matter in the past, or if you're someone who like has already begun the work of educating themselves. Everybody has a place to start and continue educating themselves and others. And even if you feel like you don't have a platform and you don't have a voice, I think that one of the most important things that anyone can do is just have conversations and open the dialogue with your friends, your family, um, because because it is so ingrained um, in our societies, I know that we can learn a lot from each other and just like naming a lot of these issues for what they are and recognizing them and calling attention to them and not letting them live in the dark. Um, and so I know I may have had friends um, who had some, you know, problematic viewpoints, um, but having those conversations with them and giving them room to grow and to learn, um, taking other people alongside you on that journey, I think that can be a really beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I think it made me think of um, my own self-awareness and, and like implicit biases and stuff like that. And really becoming aware of, of like body language. And earlier you mentioned microaggressions that I wasn't aware of and, and were not purposeful, but looking back totally could have been um, received in, in a negative way. And, and so really for me to also like be learning all of that too, has been really, really eye-opening. I think that that's something, um, important for all of us to be doing as well. It's like taking that internal look and being like, even if I'm not intending it this way, is it being received this way? For sure. Yeah. And I like how you, um, mentioned implicit bias there too, because I feel like that's something we all deal with. Um, and I think it's important note as well. Like we all have our privileges and we all have identities that have been marginalized. Like just because, um, I experience oppression through my being black and being Mexican and these things, that doesn't mean I also don't have privilege. Like I am also an able-bodied person, you know, I have privilege in that. And I also, you know, identify as a Christian, which I have privilege in that. Like there are just so many different nuances to these issues and your intersectional identities like really impact how you see the world. And so I obviously also have a lot of unlearning to do and a lot of um, recognizing my own privilege. So it's not something that's like just for certain people that like have to go through this journey. It's all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for, for saying that. 
Okay. Uh, final five speed round, although it's totally okay if it's not speed round, because I don't think any of them have been speed round. <laughs> um, but first question, what advice do you have for someone who is, we kind of talked about this, uh, hesitant to speak up because they're afraid they may say the wrong thing? Um, my number one advice is you're going to say the wrong thing. <laughs> so embrace it. It's going to happen. The sooner it happens, the more quickly you can learn from it. And I know it's scary and I know it's hard to fail and to have to apologize. But, um, as long as you, um, are open to learning and growing, that's, that's the best thing. Can I, I just thought of this too. Um, can we talk about centering for a second and how like, if you're white, don't center yourself? Yes, for sure. I mean, it's difficult too, because I know a lot of white people who are like learning about anti-racism and they are doing a lot of great work in their own lives. Um, they they want to share what they've learned with other people as they should. Um, yeah. It's it's really important to do that. I, I was just talking about it's important to have those conversations. But I think whenever privilege is centered in a conversation, um, that's a little bit of a failure. And so I think it's more powerful in our activism and or in our advocacy or allyship. It's much more powerful when we're able to hear from this source because truly no, no white person is going to fully understand or grasp what it feels like to be black or to be a person of color and you know like I am I will not be able to understand what it's like to have a disability or anything like that and so I should not be speaking for other people when they have uh, full ability to speak for themselves and I think that is really important how people often say they're giving a voice to the voiceless um nobody is voiceless. We all have voices. Mm -hmm. um, the problem isn't that we can't speak or that we don't have voices, that people don't listen to our voices. And so when you point your focus and your attention to our voices, that's when the real change is able to be made. Um, and so I think that's the most important you can do, thing you can do as an ally is to center the voices of Black, Indigenous people color um in these conversations yeah thank you uh second question what is a favorite quote or saying you have for when things get really tough there's a quote by oh i'm gonna pronounce this wrong ronald raber or something like that um and it's love is the motive but justice is the instrument and mm. i love that quote so much um that has i've really held on to that for a long time and for me personally, my activism needs to be driven by love and empathy um, for all people. And so that has something, been something that I really hold on to. I love that. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. uh, what's a favorite self-care practice? Ooh, uh, we did talk about this. Art, I think. Yes. Art, oh my God. Whether that's like writing, like poetry or like stories or you know painting or drawing or playing guitar or you know anything singing um art incredibly therapeutic for me agreed mm -hmm. I agree with that so much uh fourth question what is something you tell your past and future self oh my gosh <laughs> if you can pick just one thing <laughs> this is so hard okay past self I would say um, 
to trust myself, I think, Mm. um, to not be so worried about, um, what others think, but to be confident in my ability in all of my abilities. Um, because now I've come to a place where I can be proud of my accomplishments and, um, kind of know my worth. Um, and so I would, I would try to give my past self a little bit more of that, um, future self. Ooh, um, I would say have a little grace when looking back on me <laughs> because <laughs> I'll probably, I'll probably look back at myself now and be like, what was I doing? <laughs> As we usually look back at past versions of ourselves, but you know, oh yeah, I'm doing my best here. <laughs> And I hope that my future self can be proud. Oh my gosh. I love that. Yeah. Oh, we're all, we're all in that space. Sometimes I, I'll remember like, do you have those moments where you'll you'll remember like some random embarrassing thing from like third grade and it's like, okay, nobody remembers that but me. Exactly. It's like all these like embarrassing moments from when I was a literal child. Like that is not even who close to who I am today. And I'm just like, oh yeah. Full body cringe. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. But I love, I love that you say um, your worthiness, because that's so important. We're all worthy. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and that's something that I struggle with too, is in like knowing my own worth. And yeah. so that's, that's really beautiful. Okay. Last question, which could totally be an entire episode by itself. <laughs> um, but what is your hope for the future of our country? I, oof, it's hard to picture the world that I would want to see. Mm. My hope is that, um, Hmm. My hope is that we are able to recognize the truth about who we are as a country in all of its ugliness and disgusting history, that we're able to look at it and learn from it. Because I think that has been one of our biggest failings. You know, obviously, how this country was created from the very beginning, it, it, it was created with horrific actions. Um, And so it can be easy to want to push that under the rug and just say, but you know, we're all about freedom and we were a great country, whatever. But (laughs) I don't, we can never fully be a great country until we are able to recognize and call out the injustices, the unjust systems for what they are. and dismantle those systems of oppression and rebuild from the ground up um, a better a better world for ourselves. Yeah. That was beautiful. Thank you. Beautifully well said. I'm I like I'm taking that as a quote. That's gonna be the Haven quote one day. Like I swear <laughs> to God, <laughs> oh, that was really beautiful. And like that's also like that's a source of strength. I think people may like people who don't want change to happen will be like well, that's like rewriting the past or like, like, no, dismantling in like these systems is it going to be a source of strength because it's going to make us better. So, yeah. 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 I think that's where I get that. That's where I feel like hope is so important. This, I mean, the question was hope for the future of our country, but even just having hope in general, I think a lot of people have lost that because, you know, 
I guess people who kind of want things to stay the same, they they aren't hoping for change in the future. Um, they just are content where they are. But then there, I think there are also other people who um, recognize how terrible our country can be, um, but they don't they don't see how it can get better. And I think that's easy to fall into. I've definitely been there. It's hard sometimes to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But for me, at least personally, if I don't have hope, I have nothing. Because mm. if if I don't believe that change can be made, then what am I fighting for? You know, mm-hmm. I have to believe that we can make this better, that we can fix something, that we can change the world. And that's a big hope, but I have to hold on to that. Absolutely. Well, even you started and you said, I can't picture what I would want for this country. And then you go on to be like, actually, this is what I want and we're going to make it happen. So <laughs> yes, girl, have hope. <laughs> like That's so important. Because yeah, I mean, it, it's so easy to lose hope in anything. I mean, depression's a bitch. <laughs> like, Honestly. So yeah, it's it's really, it can be really tough and it can be really empowering to have even just a spark of hope mm-hmm. haven thank you so much for being here today it's it's so it like truly is such an honor to know that you like you've inspired me in so many ways and i'm i'm so grateful that you took the time to chat with us this has been an amazing episode thank you so much i'm so glad that you asked me it was such an amazing opportunity and i'm so glad i got to talk to you again Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have enjoyed your time today. Please take a minute to press that subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, Audible, Google Play. And if you liked today's episode, please rate and leave a review. It would mean so much to me and it helps more listeners like you find this podcast. You can connect with our guests and myself on social media. All of our information and more is listed in the description of this episode. I'm your host, Senya. See you next time.